This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. What's described as a catastrophic failure of a cable has shut down the Sea to Sky gondola near Squamish. And RCMP are now investigating it as a possible criminal act. The shocking news means the major tourist attraction could be closed for some time. Nadia Stewart has our top story. What we lack for right now is answers. We just don't know how this could have happened. It is the question on the minds of many here in Squamish and beyond. How did this cable become disconnected? One end falling into the trees, the other end lying on the ground. There was a catastrophic failure of the haul rope. So that's the cable that the gondola is on. This is shocking. Uh, there's no question about it. Uh, there, there's just, it doesn't, it doesn't really add up at this point. Sea to Sky Gondola General Manager Kirby Brown says the system was operating as it should on Friday. There was no rock slide overnight as was initially suspected. But around four in the morning on Saturday, overnight staff heard a loud noise. By daylight, it became clear something was wrong, leading to suspicions foul play could be involved. Rope's in good condition. Nothing hit it. Uh, you know, no planes ran into it. Uh, you know, there's no evidence of anything like that. So it's a real puzzle for us this morning about what actually occurred. As you can tell, that RCMP are on site. So we're looking at it from, did somebody interfere with the rope? At this time, we believe the cables were cut and there's a deliberate act of vandalism. If that is the case, the question now is why? Squamish RCMP say it's too early to determine a motive. They're appealing now for witnesses. We know that there were people that hiked to the top of the chief this morning and we're asking that anybody in the area who did hike the trails come forward to speak to police. We are looking for witnesses. The trailhead at the gondola's base is closed, now part of the crime scene. As for the gondola, it's been shut down indefinitely. The gondola is a tourist magnet, a major attraction along the Sea to Sky Highway. The impact won't go unnoticed. We love sharing this part of BC and Squamish with the world, uh, and we're not going to be able to do that for a little while. Nadia Stewart, Global News, Squamish. And while police are investigating this as a criminal matter, it's not the first time there's been a serious incident involving an aerial lift in BC. Jordan Armstrong looks at some of the more devastating ones and the impact they've had. BC is the lift capital of North America. We have hundreds of them. Compared to other forms of transportation, they're cheap to build and relatively easy to maintain. But when incidents happen, the results can be financially devastating. December 1995, two skiers died and eight were hurt when several chairs plunged from the Quicksilver lift at Whistler. The cause? Faulty grips, the devices that secure the chairs to the cable. The incident cost Whistler millions. The resort was quickly absorbed by a new parent company. And the lift, which was only a few years old at the time, never reopened and was replaced by a new gondola. The lift manufacturer went bankrupt. December 2008, a tower supporting Blackcomb's Excalibur gondola broke in half after moisture built up inside and froze. 
No one died, but it took years to settle a dozen or so injury claims. March 2014, a chairlift at West Kelowna's Crystal Mountain de-roped, sending chairs and four skiers into the snow. We will be open next year, there's no doubt about that. But that never happened. The mountain went out of business and remains closed to this day. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. The BC Coroner Service is confirming the deaths of a senior in a car crash on the Coquihalla. It happened Friday night just north of Hope near Othello Road. The highway was closed for close to four hours. The couple was in their 70s. There is no word on the cause of the accident. A pedestrian has been killed in a collision in Abbotsford. It happened at around 11.30 last night in the 36500 block of South Parallel Road. Police say the victim, a man in his late 40s, died at the scene after being struck by a Honda Civic. The driver stopped and provided first aid to the victim. He also reported the crash and is cooperating with police. Investigators are gathering evidence to determine what led to the accident. A Vancouver billionaire who is no stranger to controversy has been the target of an unusual protest this afternoon. Demonstrators have gathered outside the West Side mansion of Lululemon founder Chip Wilson, claiming his development company is run evicting people from art spaces on the city's east side. And as Paul Johnson reports, the man himself made a surprise appearance. You're watching a ritual as old as capitalism itself. The renter class taking their grievances to the landlord class. In this case, bringing the tenants' rights movement literally to the doorstep of Lululemon founder Chip Wilson's magnificent concrete and glass mansion on the shores of English Bay. When you're in a crisis like we are in Vancouver, you only have two options. Fight and continue to make it work or you leave Vancouver. Their complaint is that a Wilson-connected company has bought up a number of East Side properties that had housed artist collectives unable to pay the higher rents the company wanted. We need to have artist spaces that don't cost an arm and a leg. One point these demonstrators are trying to make is that if cities can provide affordable spaces for young creatives to tinker with ideas, some of those ideas might turn into profitable businesses with an even bigger benefit to the city. That perfection through struggle was a point Wilson himself made as he emerged from his home. I didn't get here without making a lot of mistakes and having failed many times, and many times I couldn't make rent because I didn't have a product that people actually wanted to buy. So Vancouver finds itself among the many cities trying to figure out what, if any, responsibility the financially successful have to support those whose products may not be denominated in dollars. One woman had this observation. Well, you know what, it's a different mindset. He's a businessman, you guys just want to do your art. You need to do your homework before you protest. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. An overnight fire at a Chilliwack condo complex has forced dozens of people from their homes. This is more serious than I thought. The flames were leaping high into the sky. Yeah, flames were first spotted at around midnight on a balcony in the four-story building in the 45,000 block of Stevenson Road. The fire quickly spread to the attic. All 60 units were evacuated, along with two others in the same complex. Thankfully, there were no injuries, but residents of the damaged building could be out for some time. The uh, fire um, damaged the attic space and 
a few units on the fourth floor, but the water damage would have damaged all of the units all the way down through to the first floor. The building had sprinklers in the units, but the fire started on the outside and spread from there. There is continued progress against a massive wildfire that's burning in the South Okanagan tonight. As Travis Lowe reports, crews are hoping for even more help from the weather. Not a lot of visible activity showing on the Eagle Bluff wildfire Saturday morning. So overnight it grew approximately 400 hectares and 290 of that is due to a planned ignition. Crews crediting that planned ignition backburn fire conducted Friday evening in the Manuals Canyon area of the blaze for helping starve the fire. The planned ignition we had yesterday was very successful. Um, as you can see, we're not seeing too much smoke in this area anymore. So what those planned ignitions do is gets rid of um, available fuels and kind of allows us to bring the fire towards us. Um, towards our control lines that we have um, more control over the fire. Still, the Eagle Bluff wildfire mapped out at 2,690 hectares overnight, proving it to be one of the biggest wildfires in the province right now, and the BC Wildfire Service has resourced it accordingly. Today we have 15 helicopters assisting and 19 pieces of heavy machinery, and more would be available if required. Here, a handful of the more than 150 wildfire crew currently battling the blaze start the long, hard, hot hike into action the fire. The terrain is a challenge. It's very steep, very rocky. It's a testament to the hard work crews endure and the tough environs they do it in. They're focusing mostly on building guard and we will have a helicopter um, helping build a retardant line in those areas where it's too steep and rocky for heavy equipment. But although crews are making what they characterize as good progress fighting the Eagle Bluff fire, an unstable weather mass forming over the South Okanagan may just prove to be a double-edged sword for BC wildfire crews as they fight to get the Eagle Bluff fire under control. The good news is we are looking at a pretty strong possibility of showers moving into the region. Anywhere between 15 and 25 millimeters is possible. Now the bad news is that we do have the possibility of some pretty severe thunderstorms. And that could mean high winds and lightning strikes. Yeah, it certainly is a double-edged sword when you have those cooler temperatures and rain. Um, it makes it a little easier to get a handle on things, but again, there is the risk of lightning or just increased fire behavior because of those weather conditions. And so crews are contemplating another backburn, but whether or not it goes ahead will be dependent on those all-important weather conditions. At the Eagle Bluff Wildfire, Travis Lowe, Global News. Well, not a bad day for an annual tradition, the bathtub races off Kitts Beach. More than 25 motorized bathtubs took part in the 1.6 kilometer course, some of them exceeding speeds of 30k an hour. The Kitts Fest Royal Vancouver Yacht Club event returned to Vancouver last year after a 22-year absence. For almost 30 years, bathtubs raced across the Strait of Georgia between Nanaimo and Vancouver. Now they compete in English Bay. It's incredible. We, uh, you know, when we first came back here. People were coming down, oh, I remember the races from the 70s and from the 80s. I mean, back in the day, there was thousands and thousands of people here at the beach that were waiting for the tubs to cross the strait from Nanaimo and run up and ring the bell. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. How many years have you been doing it? This is my second year. Out of old guy. But we've got the But I got the, I got the knowledge of We have the strategy this year. It's inside, 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 Side. outside at the end, cross the finish line, win. Yeah, and run up the beach. <laughs> so much fun. 
The family of a Langley teen who died of a suspected drug overdose while hanging out at a skate park is warning against vigilantism tonight. Disturbing video surfaced on social media showing the final hours of 14-year-old Carson Criminy's life. Tonight, as Kristen Robinson reports, the teen's grandfather is urging the community to let police take the lead in the quest for justice. And a warning, some of the video is very hard to watch, but we have chosen to run it at the request of Carson's father. Carson was laying on the cement up against a screen fence. He was breathing. Not well. Daryl Cremeni describes finding his only grandson unconscious and fighting for his life Wednesday night. I believe Carson was trying to make it home. Where, where, where he collapsed, where we found him was only maybe a couple hundred yards from my, my house, where he has a bedroom here. 14-year-old Carson Cremeni died in hospital of a suspected drug overdose after he was found alone in a ditch near the Walnut Grove Skate Park. <laughs> Where hours earlier, the teen appears to be in distress in disturbing video posted online before anyone called 911. It was extremely hard to watch. Um, it was upsetting. Um, brought tears to my eyes. Hard to believe. It's hard to believe. As much as we would hope that kids would pick up the phone and call 911, um, there are uh, segments of youth population that are just more inclined to document something than they are to advocate for the best interest of the individual. Social media expert Jesse Miller says more needs to be done to educate young people about the Good Samaritan law and how if drugs are involved, they would be protected. If you witness an opioid overdose, don't turn away. Stay and call 911. The teens who eventually discovered Carson called police, but it was too late. His family knows the community wants justice, but is urging people to trust the RCMP and not take matters into their own hands. He was a, had a really big heart. And he... He would help anybody, I hope, some parents and uh, children learn a lesson. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A campground has now been closed in Banff National Park after a man was attacked by a wolf. It happened early Friday. A wolf attacked a tent in a campground, leaving one camper with hand and arm injuries. Officials say the camper had stored food properly and was following all wildlife safety rules. The wolf was destroyed and its DNA will be tested to try to determine why it behaved aggressively. is investigating and pawing around the tent. There's a family of four individuals in the tent. There's an adult male in the tent and he he shakes the fabric of the tent to try and scare the animal off, and the wolf is able to grab his arm as he does that. So a conflict ensues between the wolf and this, this male um, individual, and before long, uh, a neighbor comes and is able to help scare the wolf off. Jeffrey Epstein was found dead early this morning in his Manhattan jail cell, apparently having taken his own life. The shocking news comes just one day after documents were released detailing what happened to one accuser and implicating numerous other prominent men. 
The Justice Department says financier and friend to the rich and powerful Jeffrey Epstein killed himself in his Manhattan jail cell Saturday morning. Epstein was a convicted sex offender who was being held on federal child sex trafficking charges after being arrested last month. His indictment alleged Epstein recruited girls as young as 14 for sex. Epstein's death comes just a couple weeks after he was discovered injured in his cell. He was put on suicide watch after that incident, but sources tell NBC News Epstein was not on suicide watch at the time of his apparent hanging Saturday morning. It's unclear why. Now two federal agencies are investigating. It's hard to understand how this could have happened. Attorney General William Barr said he was appalled to hear of Epstein's death, and Nebraska Senator Ben Sass said heads must roll after the Justice Department failed to keep Epstein safe until his trial. Also outraged, Epstein's accusers. He brought me up to the upstairs room, which had the massage room. Jennifer Arose accused Epstein of raping her when she was 15. She said in a statement, while Epstein is gone, justice must still be served. A sentiment echoed by attorneys for more of Epstein's alleged victims. We are not giving up. He is not going to escape justice, even in death. And those who enabled him certainly are not going to escape justice. The U.S. attorney in Manhattan says the investigation into Epstein's conduct and the conspiracy he was accused of taking part in continues. Chris Pallone. The plague of gun violence continues in Toronto. In the latest incident, a man was gunned down outside an airport strip hotel. This makes it more than two dozen people shot in Canada's biggest city in the past week alone. An unremarkable night outside a hotel near Pearson International Airport takes a violent turn. Police called to the area of Carlingview Drive and Dixon Road at about 1.30. A 30-year-old man found suffering from multiple gunshot wounds. It, it, it was strange because it, it, it was a muffled sound, it was a muted sound. Gotham Banani is visiting from India for a cricket tournament. He said at first he thought he was hearing fireworks. I'd walked into the lobby, I heard people running outside, and obviously that time everyone was saying, there's been a shooting, there's been a shooting. Rowan Shaw lives in Toronto and was staying in the area for the tournament. It was so shocking and very frustrating because it was a... So many gunshots and, you know, being a Torontonian, it's always, you know, you think about peace. Witnesses say the injured man was lying down in this alley. Guests and staff from inside the hotel came out to do what they could to help until emergency crews arrived. Police say the man was taken to a trauma centre for treatment of serious but non-life-threatening injuries. Witnesses told police at least three males were seen fleeing the area in a vehicle described as a dark-coloured SUV. The incident follows a week that saw a string of shootings resulting in more than two dozen victims. We, we understand their concern. We too are quite um, concerned by this um, recent set of shootings that we've, we've had in the city. Police are still looking into whether the shooting was targeted. I do not know. I do not know whether or not um, it was a situation where this person was targeted, but based on the investigation and based on the reports from the chief and such, most of these incidents appear to be um, gang related and, and these victims are in fact targeted. Still love the city, still keep coming back, but the only thing is at that time of night I may think twice about satisfying my hunger. Police ask anyone who saw or heard anything in the area that night to get in touch. Albert Delatala, Global News. Hundreds took to the streets of El Paso, Texas to march against racism and call for stricter gun laws. We love one another.
protesters wore white to symbolize peace while carrying 22 wooden crosses representing the victims. And we're learning more about the man charged. 21-year-old Patrick Crucius confessed to the police after the shooting, admitting he was targeting Mexicans. Democratic presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke didn't hesitate again to place some of the blame on President Trump. We're also learning more about last month's attack at a garlic festival in California. According to police documents, the gunman had a clown mask, his passport, and wilderness survival gear in his car. Three people were killed in that attack and more than a dozen people were wounded. It's also being treated as an act of domestic terrorism. Officials say at least 62 people were killed after a fuel tanker explosion in Tanzania. A damaged tanker truck erupted on Saturday as people were trying to siphon fuel from the vehicle. Police say another 70 people were injured in the blast. Well, power has finally been restored to large parts of Britain. A power outage brought the normally busy afternoon commute in London to a standstill. It left hospitals, rail lines and airports without electricity and impacted about a million people. The power failure was reportedly caused by problems with two generators, which have now been fixed. Well, you could call it a new twist to the unseasonable summer weather in Europe. Wow, dramatic video of a rare tornado as it swept through Amsterdam last night. No one was injured, but there were reports of significant damage in some regions. It continued through Europe and injured nearly two dozen people in Luxembourg. Tornadoes are quite rare in Europe, which is uh, more than typically, which is usually typically hit by gale winds. <laughs> A massive rescue operation is underway in China in the wake of Typhoon Likima. At least 22 people are dead after the storm triggered a landslide. A million people have been forced to flee their homes. Likima slammed cities situated along the coastline between Taiwan and Shanghai. The storm was initially labeled a super typhoon but weakened slightly before making landfall. In Health Matters tonight, Environment Canada has issued a special air quality statement for most of southern B.C. People feeling sensitive to smoke are cautioned to limit outdoor activities or even to stay indoors. As smoke spreads across the Okanagan, it's not just adverse physical effects to be aware of. As Danny Seymour reports, some may notice their mental health suffering as well. Power lines are on fire! Wildfires. They can be stunning to look at from a distance but those closest to them can be negatively affected in many ways. It is scary. My eight-year-old said that to me last night. The fire's scary, you know, and it's easy to look at that, you know, especially at night. It's, it's pretty dramatic looking. There's lots of fire activity. The effects of wildfire or the stress of wildfire are quite wide-ranging. Many people near wildfires are aware of the smoky conditions that can take a physical toll. And as important as it is to take care of physical health, the CMHA says that people experiencing events like wildfires need to take care of their mental health as well. Today, the CMHA Kelowna branch held an information session about how to cope with the stress of wildfire season 
in the Okanagan. And when you are in a position of waiting, possibly being evacuated, um, there's also that stress. You have all those same concerns. You're wondering when is the fire going to come? Um, is it going to you know jump the road? A stress that many in the South Okanagan are likely experiencing right now. All of these things can contribute to things like stress and anxiety and low mood. Wondering, oh, here we go again. What's going to happen? Uh, who's going to be impacted? And, and these are very real mental health issues. Samuels says that in times where a community is under stress, people often run to help others while sacrificing their own needs. She also says that preparedness for potential disaster situations is key in maintaining peace of mind. We can't control the wildfire, but what you can control is your preparedness. The CMHA Kelowna branch is just one of dozens of resources available for those experiencing distress. For more information, visit cmha.ca. Danny Seymour, Global News, Kelowna. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, it may not have been the hottest day of the summer, but that certainly didn't dampen the enthusiasm of those participating in a good old water fight in Stanley Park this afternoon. Okay. Yeah, first year. Yeah, yeah, you'll be enjoying the side So far, so good. Yeah. You know, just a nice day. Pretty good all around. Oh my goodness. Okay, this is the 12th consecutive year for the wet and wild event at Lumberman's Arch. There were a few rules to follow. They included don't bring water pistols that look like real guns, clean up after your water balloons, only aim for those who are also involved, and don't take it too seriously. The biggest event of the entire year where 100% of people smile. I think this is the fifth year. Yeah, and I was hooked the first time I came to this thing. It's like... Especially on, on a cloudy day, you're like, I don't really want to get cold and wet, but boy, when it hits you, it's exciting. <laughs> it's the 12th year, but who's counting? The annual event is hosted by Flash Mob Vancouver. <sighs> and mom's response to a cheeky move by a little princess. We're going to have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. And... You know what, Yvonne? It was a, a decent day. Yes, it, decent. It wasn't pouring rain. rain. <laughs> That's a good description, yes. Uh, we did see cooler temperatures today, isolated showers, depending on where you were across Metro Vancouver. And we'll see a similar weather picture to take us into the beginning of Sunday. But there are some breaks, and I'll have more in just a moment. Temperatures cooled off today. We're currently sitting at 18 degrees. We've got a light northwesterly wind at 6 kilometers per hour. And the high today at the airport was up to 19 degrees. Victoria at 16. It was cool. Cooler across the interior with Cologne up to 26 degrees and areas across the central interior into the low 20s. Now we do still have some cloud cover right across the south coast. We'll still see a chance of showers this evening and for our Sunday morning. We've got active weather. We've got thunderstorms of, uh, popping up across the interior. They're intensifying with a severe thunderstorm watch for the following areas that are in yellow. Okanagan Valley and stretching in towards the Kootenai included within that. So we could see lightning, very gusty winds and the rainfall rates 
15 and up to 25 millimeters per hour. We'll continue to watch that over the next couple of hours before they do start to ease off. An update now on the Smoky Skies Bulletin. It's been extended into the southeastern areas. So a heads up if you do have any respiratory issues and the fire danger rating. We've got it at moderate to high for most areas across the southern half and the southeastern areas of the island with a few spots sitting at extreme. So please be very diligent with your campfires and disposing of your cigarette butts. Now, by the morning hours, a chance of showers across the south coast. It'll be showers across the interior. And then for the afternoon, the interior will be looking at the risk of thunderstorms and hopefully a few breaks across the south coast tomorrow afternoon. By our Monday, it does really ease off across the southern half of the province. We'll be back into some sunny breaks. The piece tomorrow morning, fog patches, afternoon sunshine up to 21. White horse at 20 degrees and dry over the next three days. Coastal sections, it is a chance of showers with more cloud cover inland tomorrow near Smithers, looking at the risk of thunderstorms. Caribou and central interior, cloud cover tomorrow, a slight chance to see an isolated shower. Columbia and Kootenai, still another active day tomorrow, risk of thunderstorms and near the thunderstorms, gusty winds up to 40 kilometers per hour. Thompson, Okanagan, it'll be the Thompson that'll be seeing the risk of thunderstorms tomorrow. Okanagan will be seeing on and off showers. Whistler still remaining unsettled. A cool day tomorrow up 17 degrees. And the island will hang on to that cloud cover. Showers for the morning hours. A few breaks for the afternoon. Metro Vancouver, a five-day forecast, hoping to see a clearing by the afternoon tomorrow, but a cooler one with a high of 20 degrees. A few showers on our Monday. It is on and off both tomorrow and Monday, and then hopefully some breaks on our Tuesday, Wednesday. On Wednesday, we'll see temperatures back up to 23. Colleen? Sounds good. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Now, Yvonne, not that you would know, but when you're a princess, you get away with a lot. Princess Charlotte was caught showing off her cheeky side to royal watchers on Thursday. See, instead of waving at the audience at the King's Cup regatta, she stuck out her tongue. Her mother, the Duchess of Cambridge, can be seen laughing before ushering her daughter along. Why not? You gotta, you gotta, you gotta try these things when you're <laughs> a kid, right? Yes, and my chair. Oh, you're, <laughs> you're our little, you're our so little princess. Our princess. Yeah. Yes, you yeah. are. You know, if you just, I'll just, sit on my hands. She gets away with stand. everything. It'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> if I do stand, oh wait, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, well, now we're just showing oh. everyone how tall I really am. <laughs> Five years of CKNW. I'm Jim Robson with Tom Larshide. I said, Larshide? Who's Tom Larshide? The Golden Collaboration. Was I nervous? Are you kidding? Tom's theory was entertainment. Tuesday on Global News Hour at 6. Looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. That should be fun to watch. Love Look, those guys. I'm looking forward to this uh, sportscast, too. I, we were saying there's so much good news. The last few months in Vancouver, it's been like just downer city with all yeah. the sports teams. So maybe our luck is changing. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Colleen. Yeah, the Coquitlam Athletics are going to Williamsport for the Little League World Series. The A's continued the B.C. domination of the Canadian Championships with a 6-3 win over Quebec today. That means B.C. teams have won 14 of the last 15 National Little League titles. Starting pitcher Matt Shanley, a little leaguer, but certainly not little. 12 years old, 5'9", and he can bring it. Strikeout here to end the Quebec third. And it's still scoreless. Then Shanley does it with the bat. Three homers coming into this game make it four. Another no-doubter to right field. It's a two-run homer. Coquitlam leads 3-0. There's no question. There's nothing like the purity and joy of Little League Baseball. Look at that celebration. 
More from Shanley on the mound. This is strikeout number 13 in just four and two-thirds innings. So 13 of the 14 outs by Kay had to leave after that, but no hits allowed. A fantastic performance. Then some insurance. Timmy Piazzantine belts a three-run homer to right center. That gives the Athletics a 6-0 lead. They're sensing it. Top six. Quebec cut the lead to 6-3, but this is the final out. A liner caught by Piero Leon Carney, and it's time to celebrate the Coquitlam Athletics, Canadian Little League baseball champs. That's 14 out of 15 for BC teams at this tournament. They're off to Williamsport right away. They play Mexico in their opener on Friday. Here's their field manager, Bruce Dorward. We have a, a charter picks us up at uh, 6 in the morning um, here from the college here in Ancaster. And we're on our way to Williamsport uh, first thing tomorrow morning, and we'll, we'll be we'll be in Williamsport probably by uh, noon tomorrow. So it's uh, a lot more fun to uh, still to come, and, and uh, a lot more good baseball I think out of these group of kids. Uh, I, I think uh, I think expect more good things out of them. That's fantastic. Now the Lions are back at it today after their bye week. They have made a few changes, trying to jumpstart some life into a team that has looked lethargic in a 1-6 start. They probably need to win 8 or 9 of their last 11 to make the playoffs. That seems very unlikely, but a chance tonight to get that role going in Hamilton against the Tiger Cats. Mike Riley sacked a league-high 27 times in the first seven games. Ticats got the ball first, and they just breezed down the field and scored. Dane Evans, backup quarterback who's in the rest of the season after Jeremiah Mazzoli blew out his knee, finds Brandon Banks for the 32-yarder, barely two minutes in, 8-0 Hamilton, but give the Lions credit, they respond. Mike Riley to Brian Burnham, a great adjustment, makes the catch, takes it in for the touchdown, his first of the year, 46-yard major. They miss the two-pointer, but that did cut the lead to 8-6, to six, and Burnham and Riley were certainly on form tonight. Second quarter, Riley will find Lamar Durant, who gets loose down the sidelines. That's a 28-yard gain. And then on the next play, some nice blocking up front by the O-line where they have brought in some new people, and John White goes in untouched. That looks great. 20-yard touchdown. Lions lead 13-11. But as has been the case a few times this year, the joy doesn't last but a minute. Ensuing kickoff, Frankie Williams finds room, way too much room. A 108-yard return for the touchdown, and the Lions are behind again, 19-13. to But the Lions have been resilient tonight. Riley is going to go deep again, and it's his best receiver, Brian Burnham, who makes another fantastic catch, gets his feet inside the down, inside the five. Burnham, one of the best in the CFL, and that leads to John White's second rushing touchdown of the game. Lions offense has looked as good as it has all year. 21-19 BC at the half. And at the half, Hall of Fame inductees honored. St. Thomas More graduate John Cornish, who starred with the Calgary Stampeders. Swervin' Mervin Fernandez, the best in the league with the Lions back in the 80s. Another receiver who played in BC, David Williams. He played here in 88 and 89. And legendary UBC head coach Frank Smith, 22 seasons with UBC, two national titles. Congrats to all making it into the hall. Third quarter, Lions drive the field, got some penalty help from the Ticats. Mike Riley plows in for the touchdown, a six and a half minute drive. And then early in the fourth, Riley to Burnham for his second TD. And how about this? BC up 34-19 in the fourth. That's positive stuff as they go for just their second win this year. Rogers Cup tennis at Mississauga, Ontario's Bianca Andrescu playing at home in Toronto in the semis against American Sophia Kennan. 
Bianca's array of shots on full display. Fantastic drop shot here to win the game. On serve, up 2-1, and uh, they love her in Toronto. They love her all across Canada right now. Andrescu had a groin strain in her match yesterday, gutted it out to win, and she was moving fairly well today, which is a good sign. That's part of her game to move around that court. Bianca, as tough mentally as any women's player on tour, fought off two break points at 4-all. Such a key point of the match. Big winner there. And then we'll hit another great winner. So she led five games to four as we continue in the first set. And then she kept it aggressive, put together a nice point here to break Kennan and take the first set six to four. And the crowd in Toronto loving it. Second set, Andrescu got up a break. And then a big forehand here sets up the put away at net. She's up. Five games to two. Looks like she's going to breeze into the finals, but Kennan fought back to five all and then fought off this match point with a terrific winner there. Sends it to a tie break. Bianca, though, will crank it up. Go big or go home, she's been saying this week. Well, she went big. How about that forehand that Kennan can't handle? Leads 5-3 in the tie break and then showing more power. Thought that one was out. Was a little... Angry with the chair umpire for not overruling. Got the winner, though. And now on her fifth match point, Andrescu wins it in style. Another clean winner from the backhand side. And for the first time in half a century, a Canadian is in the final of the Rogers Cup. An emotional win for the 19-year-old who literally lives just a few minutes from the stadium. I've been through so much the last two months. All I can say is that I'm just so happy to be back on court right now. My shoulder's good. I'm in the finals of the Rogers Cup. Life's freaking amazing! All right, the other semi had the greatest of them all. Serena Williams taking on Czech upstart Marie Bushkova of the Czech Republic, ranked 91st in the world coming into the week, but she's knocked off some very good players. Serena lost the first set badly, 6-1, but then bounced back in the second. 6-3 Serena in the second set, and then in the third, she also got up a break and had a chance to win the match, and she does. So it'll be a dream final tomorrow. Serena Williams versus Canada's Bianca Andreescu for the Rogers Cup in Toronto. Now in Montreal, in the men's, the Rogers Cup uh, Frenchman Gael Monfils had to play his quarterfinal earlier today because rainstorms washed it out last night, taking on Spain's Roberto Bautista Agu, and Monfils pushed to three sets, takes the match in a tie break. He was to play again tonight against top seed Rafa Nadal in the semis, but Monfils had nothing left, had to forfeit, so it'll be Nadal and Russian Daniel Medvedev in the men's final tomorrow in Montreal. Cyclists, grab your helmets. The Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Research is holding its fourth annual Tour de Fox Cycling Series. It's a ride for all ages and abilities starting in Port Coquitlam. TourdeFox.org slash Pacific Northwest for details. Join Chris Galis and Linda Steele at the Take a Swing Golf Tournament, a fundraiser for the CKNW Kids Fund. Registration is filling up fast, so join today for a day at the Vancouver Golf Club, all while helping kids with special needs across BC. Power BC is brought to you by Alpine Credits. Own your own home and need a loan? Get approved in less than 24 hours at alpinecredits.ca. 
Welcome back. The Whitecaps are in Portland tonight trying to extend their unbeaten streak to three. The Timbers are currently out of a playoff spot in the West, but because they played their first 12 games on the road this season while renovating their stadium, they finish with 11 of their last 12 at home, so they will definitely get in. It's always a great game in Portland. Kickoff 8 o'clock. Highlights tonight at 11. English Premiership season kicking off this weekend. Defending champ Man City with no problems on the road at West Ham. Raheem Sterling at the hat-trick and City steamroll West Ham 5-0. Meanwhile, Tottenham Hotspur taking on Aston Villa. Spurs went down early but rallied, tied it at one, and then in the 86th minute, it's Harry Kane doing what he does best, finishing with little space. 2-1 at that point, and then in the 90th, Spurs will seal the deal. Kane with his second. Again, such touch. Finds the corner. 3-1 the final. Tottenham over Aston Villa. Vancouver Giants head coach Michael Dick. He knows how to chew gum like a head coach, that guy. He's the head coach for Canada. Gold medal game of the Helenka Gretzky U18 tourney in the Czech Republic. Russians score here. Alex Passion made it 3-1 in the third, but Canada got it back. Jean-Luc Foudy with the nice solo effort made it 3-2. Canada had won 10 of the last 11 of these, but Russia wins it 3-2, their first cup since 1995. Next year's tournament is in Edmonton. Canada's won this tourney 22 times, but settled for silver today. FedEx Cup playoffs, first tournament of three. The Northern Trust from Liberty National in New Jersey. Brant Snedeker made the big move today. Had two eagles in a three-hole span, and then this birdie putt capped off an eight-under 63. He's at 12-under, just two back of the lead. It's American Patrick Reed, who hasn't had a very good season, actually, but today makes the birdie here. And he leads by a shot. Second round leader Dustin Johnson is now five off the pace. Four Canadians did make the cut. Uh, Connors and Hadwin will advance for sure next week because the top 70 advance. But Roger Sloan of Merritt needs to really go low tomorrow. Needs to get into the top 10 to get into the final 70 next week. Baseball today, Blue Jays in the first place. Yankees. Oscar Hernandez on a power surge lately. Two homers yesterday, another one today. That's a three-run homer, his 18th of the season, 3-1 Toronto. Yanks came back, but in the seventh, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. with two strikes on him, just serves one inside the bag at first, and his two young buddies, Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio, both of their dads were major league stars too, both come around to score. Vladdy with his first ever major league triple is jacked about it. Jays beat New York for the second straight game, 5-4 the final. We know the Jays are way out of it. They're rebuilding, but these young players kind of have the juice back in the nice. Blue Jay nations. Good. Okay, here is something to add to your bucket list if you're on your way to southern England. A footbridge spanning the sea opens this weekend. Over half a kilometer long, it is getting a lot of attention for its dramatic views. The passage is a restoration of a lost crossing to an old castle. The castle's history is intertwined with the legend of King Arthur, who was supposedly born on the site, prompting the Earl of Cornwall to build a castle mm. on the mainland. Interesting. That's my really bad. Um, <laughs> that okay. added to it. It was very necessary. That, did that help? Yeah. Did that help? Okay. Uh, we want you to check out this video that was sent in by a global news viewer. These guys really know the rules of the road. That is hilarious. <laughs> the lady kept pressing the crosswalk sign for them. Aw, that's so sweet. The South Surrey viewer captured a group of Canada geese walking across the crosswalk at 148th Street next to the Semiamu School. They stalled traffic for their walk across the road, but 
stayed inside the lines the whole time. And you know what I think they were doing? This week was the anniversary Abbey of Road. the photo shoot of right. Abbey Road. Maybe they were just going, our turn. <laughs> yeah. It's our turn. Or they were going to go play Duck, Duck, Goose with their friends. Yeah. Okay. Over at the park. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> quick, quick word on weather. We are going to see a chance of showers tomorrow morning and then hoping for some breaks for the afternoon. A cooler one, though. Keep that in mind with a high of 20 degrees and then a few breaks in between as we look ahead towards next week. Sounds good. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Barry. Mm -hmm. Thank you for watching. Take care. <laughs>